Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Kennedy. I'm Sean Duffy. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. I'm Dana Perino. After rescuing two hostages held in Gaza, Israel plans to continue its military operations in the city of Rafah, despite warnings from President Biden. I think this week was bad. I think they're responding to domestic U.S. politics. I think they're worried about the progressive base. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's election day for a high-profile congressional seat and swing district in New York, as voters look to replace their old representative, who was expelled from the House last year. They're trying to link me to um, Santos. I mean, you know, the chairman of the uh, Nassau County vetted. He took this so serious, the Santos issue, and he vetted everyone who wanted to run for Congress. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Two hostages are back home in Israel after a daring raid by Israeli Defense Forces. But pressure remains on Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to free the remaining hostages and end the five-month-old war. Netanyahu is vowing to destroy Hamas, but the military campaign to do so has sparked international protests and concerns over civilian casualties and a humanitarian crisis. President Joe Biden recently called the operation over the top. Netanyahu responded to those remarks on Fox News Sunday. He made those uh, remarks. I don't know what he meant by that, but I can tell you where we are. Look, we were attacked in the worst attack on Jewish people since the Holocaust. So what would America's response be? I'd say that it would be at least as strong as Israel's, and many Americans tell me we would have flattened them. We would have turned them into dust. President Biden met with Jordan's King Abdullah II at the White House on Monday discussing growing tensions in the Middle East, the release of additional hostages, and further humanitarian aid. I'm working on this day and night with the king and others in the region to find the means to bring all these hostages home, to ease the humanitarian crisis, and to end the terror threat, and to bring peace to Gaza and Israel, enduring peace with a two-state solution for two peoples. Just weeks after the war first began in October, following the Hamas terror attacks, I spoke with Dan Senor, who was a foreign policy advisor to President George W. Bush. Senor recently traveled to Israel, and I wanted to speak with him again about how the nation is recovering and how determined they are to defeat Hamas. Everywhere you go in the country, you're interacting with the trauma and the hangover, even mm -hmm. still four months into mm -hmm. it. Dan Senor is the host of the podcast, Call Me Back. And his latest book is called The Genius of Israel, The Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent World. At four months right now, this will be, and it's no, no end in sight, Israel's longest war. And there's thousands of people who are fighting, who are just getting severely wounded. It's going to be a whole generation. And we spend time with families of the hostages. And I know you've had on your show families of these hostages. I, I don't care what anybody says. No matter how many times you meet with them, it's just each time, it's just... Um, it's gut-wrenching. And then just seeing friends and family who've also been directly um, affected by all of this. So in that sense, it's it's heavy. The, the trauma hangs over everywhere you go. 
I'm still upbeat, as you know, about Israel. And I think the country is incredibly resilient. But I, I will say you're there and you spend time with people. You go down to Kfar Aza, which is the kibbutz, one of the kibbutz, kibbutz, kibbutzim that was just just terrorized. Went there, went to the Nova Music Festival site, which was actually the, the most chilling part of the trip, I think. Um, cause you could just really visualize the killing field. Um, so it was heavy. And then we had this news where the IDF had been working on this operation for some time. I've now learned, um, to go rescue these two hostages that were not in a tunnel. They were on the second floor of a, like an, almost like an apartment complex. And the irony is it's in Rafa, which is becoming a point of contention between the Biden administration and the Israeli government about whether or not Israel can and should go into Rafah, and if they go into Rafah, how they go into Rafah. The Israeli leadership, and everyone I met with in the Israeli leadership, from right to left, uh, every member of the War Council, everyone, every political faction that represents the different factions in the government, they all think they have to go into Rafah. You can't finish. The, Hamas will remain intact if they don't go into Rafah. And the administration is not saying no, but is saying they're putting a lot of constraints on Israel going into Rafah, which is right there at the Egyptian border. And the idea that you're having this debate, and then there's this news that Israel has to go in and get hostages out of Rafah, and you're sort of like, wait a minute, Israel has, there are Israeli hostages in Rafah, and Israel is being told they can't go into Rafah, and it sort of triple underlines how outrageous it is that Israel is being told how it can fight this war. So, um, Last weekend, Biden called Netanyahu and to have this conversation. I don't know exactly how that went. Then you have the, it's so interesting the way this administration has pushed forward because on the record, they'll say, um, you know, we're very concerned. We're very concerned. Then you used to hear that there's more support behind the scenes, but now they're leaking out that Biden is more concerned about Netanyahu than ever and undermining him with anonymous quotes in the press. So... It does make me wonder, like, sir, the, Mr. President, the uh, American hostages could be in Rafa, right? Right. I mean, right. If, well, I would we say don't know that, right? No, they absolutely could be in Rafa, and not just undermining them with background quotes. Now, for the first time last week, we had the Israel being undermined with on-the-record quotes. So, if you go back over the last few months, there have been some incredibly impressive statements from the administration that I have publicly praised. John Kirby has been extraordinary from the White House podium basically saying Israel is having to fight a war under circumstances that no modern military has had to deal with, dealing with an enemy that hides in a civilian population that has built 350 miles of tunnels underground that are impossible to get to. No no counterinsurgency, no military, no one, no one has had to deal with this. John Spencer, who's the head of urban warfare at West Point, just wrote this piece where he really lays out, he goes through every major war and counterinsurgency operation in modern times. He can't find another example of the conditions that Israel has to face with a with an enemy hiding in a dense civilian population with tunnels underneath. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Willing to use human shields. And um, and so the administration officials, Kirby, Matt Miller at the State Department, Tony Blinken, um, the president himself over the last few months have defended Israel and, 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 and made the case that Israel is dealing with extraordinary circumstances. And then over the last few months, defending Israel against charges of, of uh, disproportionality. And now Biden himself is saying Israel's response has been disproportional. Uh, Blinken said something that I thought was outrageous. He said, uh, he said what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th was dehumanizing. But just because what Hamas did to Israel was dehumanizing doesn't mean Israel has a, quote, 
license to dehumanize the Palestinians. What happened to Israel's fighting an impossible situation? What happened to if Hamas wants to end this war, they can end it tomorrow by releasing the hostages and surrendering? What happened to these were their arguments. Now, suddenly Israel's dehumanizing a population. I would say those three statements this past week were outrageous. And this is coming from someone who has defended. I've defended Biden and and criticism against Biden on this issue because I generally think since October 7th, the administration has been responsible. I think this week was bad. I think they're responding to domestic U.S. politics. I think they're worried about the progressive base. So I'm trying to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that they won't actually do as much damage as their rhetoric suggests. But make no mistake, the rhetoric is damaging. And what also also the media covering the Palestinian um, statements that say, you know, don't hurt us in Rafa, that all these people are going to be injured. Israel is aware and they're worried about that. Then give back the hostages because they're there in Rafa. Right. So so you're talking about a little over one million people who are in southern Gaza. There are many things you could do. Uh, you could give back the hostages and surrender the leadership uh, or, or turn or the Palestinian people could turn on the leadership mm-hmm. and try to and try because they know where a lot of these people are. Egypt could create a humanitarian corridor for many of these Palestinians. They're not interested in doing that. So so right there at the Egyptian border, the Egyptian border is like slammed shut. Egypt does not want any Palestinians coming in to the Sinai, into Egypt. Uh, they worry about Hamas coming in. So they've slammed the door. So there's so many ways Palestinians could turn on Hamas. There's so many ways the Arab world, particularly Egypt, could put pressure on Hamas. There are so many ways that Hamas's leadership could end this thing. They're not interested in it. There are still depending on how you calculate it, four to six battalions of Hamas that are that will not be eradicated unless Israel can get into Rafah. And Israel is not going to stop until they eradicate Hamas and get back their hostages. What about UNRWA? This is the UN Relief Agency. Who, Mike Tobin, our reporter in, in Israel, he showed these amazing tunnels yeah. with, with tiling, yeah. you know. Um, and the UNRWA organization was upstairs. Right. So So should the United States and others just pull funding from that agency completely? For some reason, the UN gives a a special organization, which is the UN Relief uh, and Works uh, Agency. The UN gives a special agency just for the Palestinians, A. B, under every other category of refugees, a refugee is someone displaced by war or whatever, uh, natural disaster, whatever it may be, and has nowhere to go with one exception, the Palestinians. The Palestinians can settle somewhere else, right? But they have relief, a refugee status for the rest of their lives. So they have a right to quote unquote return to Israel, I guess, uh, for the rest of their lives. So this thing has been so politicized against Israel and, and as we now know, totally corrupted and captured by Hamas. I think there obviously has to be humanitarian programs to deal with the Palestinians in Gaza. No one's suggesting that those are not needed. What we are suggesting is the UN agency and the UN structure is ludicrous, dangerous, an organ of Hamas. It should be dismantled and be replaced. And to the, uh, any argument to the contrary is just it's it's like it's allowing another organ of Hamas to continue to endure. Am I correct that 80% of the funding comes from the United States? Yeah, something like that. A majority of the funding comes from the U.S. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. unacceptable. Yeah. The funding has been suspended, and I think it should be suspended indefinitely. After October 7th, you were here, 
And one of the things you said is that for the first time in your life, you felt vulnerable. And I'm, I think about that all the time. And I'm wondering, especially if coming off of your trip that you just took to Israel, do you still feel that way? Yeah, I think uh, it's funny. I have this tendency to, and I think many Jews in the United States do, have this tendency to worry all the time about Israelis and worry about what Israel is going through, which is understandable, as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, just the trauma they're going through is, um, God, I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, we not only just the actual, when you see the devastation and you meet with people who are suffering, but, you know, we got, when I was there, we got briefed by mental health experts who are working on the mental health issues of hostages that are released, the mental health issues of the women who've been released who were, you know, sexually uh, assaulted both on October 7th and in, in captivity. Um, the children who've been released and the, and the, as hostages and the, what it means to have been a hostage for as a child for 50 days. I mean, I don't even know how they, how one copes with it. So there's this tendency to just constantly worry about the Israelis. And when we were in Israel, we were together with a lot of Israeli friends. It's awful, but we'll get through it, is what they say. And then they say, how are you? We're more worried about you than you are about us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I live in this very comfortable existence in Israel, even with the threats, the threats have changed for us. And they're like, they're like, what's happening in the United States? We never in a million years thought we would see. We as, they would say, we Israelis. We never thought we Israelis would see what you're, which is pogroms going on on college campuses, uh, Jewish-owned businesses being attacked on the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, just like Jewish-owned businesses were destroyed in Germany in 1938 uh, the, uh, uh, during Kristallnacht. Um, you know, just the taunting and tormenting of Jews, either rhetorically or physically. Uh, they, they are like, what is going on in your country? We're worried about you. But the difference between the way they're suffering and we're suffering is they feel that they have a sense of agency, mm -hmm. that they have something they can do about it. They can go fight Hamas. They can go eradicate Hamas. They can go rescue their fellow citizens, those hostages. So when I said I felt vulnerable, it's not just that I feel vulnerable. It's that I can be active and I can be engaged. But at the end of the day, we are to some degree at the mercy of the government we have, the law enforcement authorities we have the leaders we have, and we need these people on side. And sadly, too many of them are not. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Appreciate right, it. Dan Senor. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. 
New York's 3rd Congressional District is highly coveted in any year. It covers parts of Queens and Nassau County on Long Island. It's the state's wealthiest district. And after redistricting, the new lines have it as a slightly blue seat but only slightly. And immigration has been dominating voters' minds there ahead of today, as New York's been a main destination for many among the millions of migrants who've come to the country. We're all from immigrants. Just come here legally, let everyone go through the process. It seems like a lose-lose for both uh, Republicans and Democrats. Obviously, I want the crime rates to low, uh, you know, go down as much as we can, secure the border, and make sure we're living in a safe society. That's the main concern. It's one seat that Democrats, though, have put millions of dollars toward as part of what Congresswoman and head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, Susan Del Bene, calls their red to blue effort. Former Representative Tom Suozzi is the perfect fit for the district. We're doing all we can to engage voters and send them back to Congress. Tom Suozzi lost the seat in 2022 to Republican George Santos after Suozzi held it for three terms. After George Santos's lies came to light and he was charged by federal prosecutors with embezzling money from his campaign, lying to Congress, fraud and money laundering, Congress expelled him late last year. The Republican candidate now is Mazi Pillip, an Ethiopian woman who moved to Israel, then served in the armed forces there before moving to the United States and raising a family here. She entered politics a few years ago and has been serving as a Nassau County lawmaker. Swazis accused Pillip of hiding, though the two have debated. My opponent, Mazi Pillip, is George Santos 2.0. <laughs> Utterly unvetted, lying about her record, Democrats need to flip just five seats to gain control of the House, and there are currently four vacancies, all seats left empty by Republicans. Right now, the Republican majority is so slim in the House, they can only afford to lose three votes when deciding on legislation. It feels very good because uh, people are very much worried about the future of our country. Mazi Pillip is a Nassau County legislator running for New York's third congressional district. Whether it's uh, the migrant crisis, the border crisis, or the safety, you know, um, and our economy. People are unhappy about these three main subjects and very much engaged they, to do everything in their power to bring a new face, fresh uh, voice to Congress. So you feel people want something different because Tom Swazi, your opponent, he, he represented this district before. You're getting, this, you're getting the sense people want something else. Yeah, something else, because they know, uh, you know, he was in the majority in Congress when he decided to support Biden 100 percent of the time. And he decided to open the southern border. The border crisis that we are seeing right now, the migrant crisis is something that was created by Biden and Tam Swazi. He has to be held accountable. And to be fair, he has to be he has to own this. And the same things when it comes to, you know, when you see like illegal migrants right now coming and attacking or police officers or just a resident last week, a Nassau resident, he was attacked and punched in his face. Uh, illegal migrant again. And then a few days ago, a 15 years old um, migrant, uh, you know, was shooting in Times Square. Again, the same issue, the same formula. When you are weak or soft on crimes and when you don't support law enforcement and when you don't secure the border, this is exactly what's happening. And who we can blame on that is Biden and Swazi. And as elected officials, they have to own it. You just have to own it. You can't try to lie about this. You cannot run away of your record. Have you felt the pressure of this campaign? I mean, this is a major seat given the political climate. We've got extremely tight margins in the House. 
And everybody's really paying attention to this race um, from across the country because of how tight the margin is. Um, Do you feel that? Do you feel that pressure? You know, it's not pressure. I feel the obligation uh, to win this election because it's really about the future of our country. You know, after all, I'm a mother of seven children and I love this country. Uh, And this country has been great to me and to my husband. So uh, it is not about Mazi Uswazi. It's about taking our country to the right direction. That's the pressure I feel as a mother. Forget about as elected officials. You know, it's not about the power. You know, am I going to make it to Congress or not? It's when you think about the real issues, the issues we are facing here, the the, the Americans and, and, and the people who live in uh, Nassau and New York State, you know, it is very much concerning. Seven kids. My goodness. Mazel tov. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Thank you. So some of the criticism I've been tracking is that you've run too low key of a campaign. You've been absent was the word, right? One of your fellow lawmakers in Nassau County said that because you left a meeting without voting on how to spend American rescue plan dollars in the county, this means you can't represent um your district in Congress fairly, a party official held an event for you on Shabbat and you observed Shabbat so you couldn't attend. And so you were criticized for not attending. Um, And then of course, Mr. Swazi, who's represented this district before, likened you to George Santos um, for not being transparent enough um, and, and said you were unvetted. That's quite a comparison to be compared to George Santos. I wonder how you would like to respond to any of the things that are being said about you. And again, another lies, another reason to distract the voters. So basically, instead of focusing on the real issues, they're trying to move people and distract them. Let's talk about the one vote I missed, okay? I have been legislator two and a half years, one vote. I had emergency, I had some family issues, personal issues I had to take care. I am, have been voting every votes there is nothing not, there is no such a thing i'm missing but again they have to say that and then they're trying to link me to um santos i mean you know the chairman of the uh, nassau county vetted he took this so serious the santos issue and he vetted everyone who wanted to run for congress he took it so serious he hired three different independent firm to run background checks about me uh, and other candidates. So again, his way is to link me with Santos and trying to create this image of me lying about my, uh, you know, work experience and um, degrees. I mean, come on, let's focus on the real issues. Um, again, yeah. their way to, to, to try to distract people. And uh, the matter of fact, you know, he talks about me, why he never explained to the public uh, what happened with his uh, you know, ethic investigation uh, when he was in Congress. So why he never spoke about this 300 stock transaction that uh, he didn't report. And as a result, he was under investigation, ethic, you know, the ethic committee was mm-hmm. investigating him. So why he doesn't talk about this, you know? Uh, so let him, let, let's focus on the real issues. I'm very proud of my achievement. It is who I am. And I'm taking my job very serious as a county legislator, I did in two years so many things, so many things from, you know, not increasing taxes for two years in a row while he was increasing taxes uh, and supporting law enforcement. I'm the only candidate in this race uh, that was endorsed over 10 police union. None of them, none of them endorsed him. Why? Because as a county executive, he made it very hard for law enforcement. He wanted to cut uh, 300 police officers from Nassau County. He was supporting defunding the police movement. Uh, He kicked ice from here. None of them supported him. Even the the border uh, 
Petrol um, Union. They endorsed me. They really believe I can solve the problem of the, the, the borders. He, they didn't endorse him. So those are the real facts, you know. And you said tw- how many police unions have endorsed you or how many law enforcement unions have over endorsed 10. you? Uh, wow. Over 10. Over 10. I think close to 12, I don't know, but I can tell you over 10 and on top of it, you know, the border control, the border. Uh, yeah. Petro- petrol, yeah, it's huge, it's huge itself, you know, they don't do that because uh, Mazi is cute, they're doing this based on my <laughs> support, I have been so, so serious about this, law enforcement is a serious thing, so it's not a joke, as yeah. a mother of seven children, I worry about the safety of my children, I'm sorry, when you see from the borders coming illegal uh, guns and fentanyl, kicking, you know, k- killing our uh, American citizens, I'm worried about my children. This is the big issues. We are facing one of the most challenging time of the American history. And uh, and I want people to understand it. You know, if you vote for Swazi, you're basically voting to open border, voting, uh, being soft on crime, not supporting law enforcement and increased taxes. And I don't think the third congressional district want that. They want a person like me, a mother, a fighter, not a politician, and uh, somebody who have proven a record of uh, cutting taxes, supporting law enforcement, and being there for the people and deliver. I'm a person of action, not a talker. Let's talk about one issue that might matter to some folks in your district, because it was a, a poll question. I guess one of the polls done mm-hmm. on this uh, in the in the district gives you the edge on dealing with immigration, as you've talked about, but it, it does favor Mr. Swazi on abortion. Um, I think yeah. you know abortion is going to be an issue Democrats campaign on, as they did in 2022. And this district mm-hmm. can tell us a lot. It's a swing district that you're running in. How do you feel about the overturning of Roe? And what is your position on abortion now? Yeah, exactly. You know, I have been so clear about this the last seven weeks where I'm standing about abortion. Unfortunately, Tom Swazi and his political leaders were lying, totally lying about me. It's unbelievable. Millions invested against me by putting those um, negative uh, TV ad. I will tell you where I stand, okay, on abortion. I am a mother of seven children. This is me as a, as a person, you know, I'm pro-life because this is what I believe this is my religion. However, okay, I said abortion is a personal decision. Every mother, every woman should make that decision. Therefore, I'm not gonna support national abortion ban. I'm not gonna risk women health care. And uh, I made it so clear and I'm not gonna even force my own beliefs to any woman. Hmm. And the funny part is, you know, a person who who's a mother for seven children, okay? I was pregnant six times. Tom Swazi, a man that never been a pregnant, okay? Telling what's women's rights and what's women's health care. I know the fear of being a mother I know the, the, the anxiety during uh, pregnancy. I know the m- morning uh, sicknesses that every woman, every pregnant woman have it. Depression. I know all this. So I understand this better than Tom Swazi. He using this like as a weapon, okay, for his political benefit, basically. Every time he's going to play that just to get another power, let's scare all, all the women and let's just do that because I need the power. I need to go back to Congress or I need to win election. It is uh, sickening, it is disgusting, and even in, in a lot of ways disrespect, because I am telling you, I will be there to protect women's rights. And I made it so clear because it's very personal to me. And I hope none of the women who are out there are not going to listen. This is all politics using this issue as a, as a powerful weapon to win an election. Enough mm. is enough. Hmm. 
Mazin Phillip, the Republican candidate for New York's third congressional district. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Also, we reached out to Tom Swasey's campaign and he declined to be interviewed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Laren. What's on your mind? Special counsel Hur's investigation into Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents might not have turned out an indictment, but the findings are likely far worse. Special counsel Hur concluded very plainly that President Joe Biden does not have the mental faculties to be held liable for his mishandling of classified material. I'm not sure how ignorance of the law renders you immune to it, but apparently that's how it goes if you're a Biden. But the fact that Joe Biden has not resigned from office and dropped out of the 2024 presidential race just goes to show how egotistical he truly is. But I maintain that Joe Biden will not be the nominee, whether he knows it or not. So pay very close attention to California Governor Gavin Newsom, because I'm sure he's already packing four years worth of hair gel in a suitcase ready for the White House, my friends. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show Tommy Lahren is Fearless at Outkick.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.